a temple made by hands, therefore we don't need a physical temple. So we went through the scripture showing that uh, where it says God does not dwell in a temple made by hands, and then I gave you a whole bunch of scriptures showing that he did indeed dwell in temples made by hand <clears throat> over and over. But I think invariably, certainly almost invariably, every time it mentions God is not going to dwell in a temple made by hands, uh, the thought is interjected that he rules the entire universe. The whole universe is his home. And therefore, we cannot limit him to a building that we might build on this earth. He's never been limited to that. He could come and go from Solomon's temple. He could come and go from the ark of the, I mean, the uh, the tabernacle in the wilderness, and did. Sometimes his glory was there, and sometimes it was not. So you have to understand all those scriptures put together to realize that we cannot limit God. That's the whole point. And we can't build a house and say you have to live here. <laughs> he does what he pleases. He's the God of the universe. So I think we put that to rest uh, last week. I asked a secondary question, which we did not get to, and that is, if there has to be a physical temple, uh, why are we not building it right now? Uh, what's, holding, what's the holdup? If it has to be done, why don't we get on it? Because Haggai 1 chides us uh, for not getting his temple built when it needs to be built. So, why is it not today? I mean, well, this is the Sabbath, but why not tomorrow? Uh, well, that scripture's been in Haggai now for a couple thousand, well, probably 2,500 years or so. And uh, it said the same thing. But conditions have to be right. And then it is time to do. Now, before we get into uh, the argument about why are we not doing it right now, uh, let's get into a little more proof that there has to be a physical temple. Some things that did not come to mind last time. Uh, now, I did discuss that a primary proof of a physical temple is Haggai 1, where they'll say, <coughs> no, it's not time to build a temple. Uh, and I've made the point many times that no one is ever going to say it's not time to build a spiritual temple. Everybody agrees it's always time to build a spiritual temple. But the place where people do disagree is when you bring up a physical temple being built. Unless you say the Jews are going to do it, then they'll probably agree with that. But not that God's people do. Well, who can build a temple of God except God's people? The Jews certainly can't. We've been through that. But let's go to some more scriptures to show that a physical temple has to be built, and there's no way of getting around it. Let's go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. I don't know that I had ever really considered this angle of it before. It hadn't come to mind. Maybe it has, and maybe I've said it before. I, uh, sometimes I think I have a new thought. And I think, well, I've never thought of that before. And I'll go back to a scripture to check it out. And there it will be in my margin. It was written 20, 30, 40 years ago. <laughs> and I had simply forgotten that thought. But there it is in print in my margin. So 
you know, as we get older, perhaps our memories fail somewhat and something sounds like a new thought when it may not be a new thought at all. But in any case, in Matthew 24, Christ is discussing the physical temple there before them. And they, he says that there will not be one stone left on another that won't be thrown down. And then they wondered, his disciples, what's the sign of the end of the age, the end of the world as we know it, uh, before you return? And then he goes on to show that all the horror and the trouble that will come, some of which we are beginning to experience here in this end time. And then how they will deliver Christians up to kill them. Now, we all recognize that we have the Spirit of God and are His spiritual temple. In fact, I read that in Ephesians 2, verses 20 through 22 last week. Uh, don't question for a moment that the spiritual temple is important and to the Satan and the minions of his who rule this earth will try to kill everybody who is godly. So Christ mentions that there in verses 9 and 10 and how many will be, uh, betray one another and how iniquity will abound. But we have to endure to the end. Then he goes down in verse 14 and says, The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. Now that has not to date been done. It's not even come close to being done. Uh, We thought, and Herbert Armstrong thought that was his job, and it wasn't. He's been dead more than 30 years now, and uh, the end hasn't come. So when the gospel has been preached to all the world as a witness the end will come. Now, it's very clear in Revelation 11 that the two witnesses at the end are the ones who are going to do that. They'll preach it for 1,260 days, three and a half years, 42 months. Very clear who does it. And then when they die, three days later, uh, there is the resurrection. So when they finish preaching the gospel around the world, then the end will come, and it will come immediately, within three, three and a half days. <clears throat> now, let's go on down. It says, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso reads, let him understand. There has to be a holy place for him to stand in and to defile. Uh, We could go back. I don't think I will. Uh, In Daniel 8, 9 through 12, it talks about a little horn. Once this nation is divided into four pieces, it says there that a little horn, one of the leaders there, will arise and will come into the temple of God and set up an abomination that we have to flee from. Then you go to Daniel 9, and it talks about an order given to build Jerusalem. Jerusalem does not exist today, not the original Jerusalem in its own place, Zechariah 12.6. So, an order has to be given to build Jerusalem. And then, uh, 70 weeks later, or 69, however it works out there, anyway, a a total of 70 weeks in that prophecy, uh, the abomination of desolation will be set up. And he says you are to flee from before that. Now let's go back to Matthew 24 with that thought in mind because that's what Christ refers to here in verse 15. When you see that abomination set up, 
you better understand where and how and who is involved. And Christianity today does not know. They don't even know where the original Jerusalem was. So they can't understand this prophecy. Anyway, it says, verse 16, Then let them which be in Judea flee <coughs> into the mountains. So where the original Judea was, there are mountains nearby <coughs> that can be fled into. And it's going to be a time of great stress. So if you're on the housetop, don't go into the house and get anything. Uh, if you're nursing a child, uh, woe to you. Those are going to be very, very hard times and it will be a very difficult physical uh, departure, apparently. He even says down here uh, to pray that it not be on the Sabbath nor in the winter, which may just mean inclement or bad weather, uh, but that you have good weather and it not be Sabbath and uh, a time of great hurry because the army is coming and you would be killed. Now let's go to Revelation 12 and pick up another thought here because there is a very, very important proof here that there is a physical temple that will be built and will uh, exist at the time that these things are happening. Chapter 12 of Revelation, it talks about how uh, the woman flees into the wilderness into a place prepared of God in verse 6 and then how Satan is cast down, uh, verse 9, and uh, will not be able to go and accuse us anymore. And then they overcame him, verse 11, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they were willing to put their lives on the line to do it. So it's a very, very difficult time. And then, uh, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, verse 12, because great wrath is coming from Satan, and he knows he has a short time. So verse 13, when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child, those who bring forth Christ in their lives. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place. Now the great eagle there is Christ's protection. Uh, she, we, we won't suddenly grow wings. Uh, his protection is like an eagle covering. And in the original place of Jerusalem, there are two hills that resemble from Google Earth up in, up in the air the wings of a great bird. So she'll be protected, but we already read in Matthew 24, it'll be a time of danger in that if you are heavily pregnant or giving suck, uh, or if it's bad weather, it'll be a tough time. So it's obvious we don't just pick up and fly off. It's a, a difficult physical time. So, but we're protected. Where she goes into her place, where she's nourished for a time, times and a half a time. That's three and a half years. <clears throat> the Bible in many places shows that that place is Zion, the true Zion. Anyway, verse 15, the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood, that is an army, symbolic in the Bible language after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the army. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood. So apparently a great earthquake is going to occur, just as it did uh, with Korah, and swallow them up when they are showing this rebellion against God's church. So Satan was angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Christ. 
So those who are accounted worthy, and Christ does tell us over there, pray that you uh, are accounted worthy to escape this. Some will not be. And those who are protected will be protected by the wings of the eagle Christ, and they will get to the refuge, the place of safety, and there they'll be protected three and a half years while the gospel goes out to the world. But those who are left behind will be persecuted and killed in tribulation. It's very clear that Satan will go after them. Read uh, Daniel 11. It shows that many will be killed. Now, let's get down to the point then. What's all this mean? What does this mean in terms of a physical or a spiritual temple? The spiritual temple is told to flee, right? It is not defiled, right? If it flees and gets away from that destruction and that abomination that will be set up, then it is not defiled. It escapes it. It makes it to a place of safety. Now, what is defiled? That which is left behind the physical temple is defiled. Because that's what starts this. As a physical temple is built, and then this individual from Daniel 8 comes and defiles it. And when we see those armies gathering that are going to create the defilement, then the spiritual temple flees. Now that is a very, very important proof. God's spiritual temple will not be defiled. That which qualifies to be part of the temple at that time. Now those left behind are going to be killed. They will be defiled. But at that point in time, God does not adjudge them to be part of the spiritual temple as the reason they're left behind. Yes, they will be defiled. But they're not part of God's temple. Now, they thought they were up until that point, right? That's why he tells us all to pray that we be accounted worthy to escape, because some will not. So they will be separated away from the spiritual temple, not having washed their garments, not having sought gold tried in the fire per Revelation 3.18 in the Laodicean era. They will not meet the standard. They will not be protected. They will be left behind. So they won't be part of the temple at that point. They will be cut off from the spiritual temple. So then, that type of Antiochus Epiphanes of the past will sit in the temple of God saying he is God for three and a half years. While the two witnesses preach that he is not God. So a physical temple has to be there to be defiled, because the spiritual certainly is not going to be defiled. It will be protected. I think that is a very, very powerful proof that there is both a physical and a spiritual temple. Now, spiritual temple certainly is the most important thing. Revelation 3.18, God tells us to buy gold and silver, tried in the fire, so, and he, we've been under fire now for quite some time, nearly 30 years, to be tried. Now, we saw an abomination of desolation set up in the church of God, did we not? 
And did they take over the physical plant? Ambassador Auditorium, the Hall of Administration, the campus, they took it all over. They took the physical over. But what happened to the spiritual temple? It fled. We got out of there. So, we've already seen happen what is about to happen again. The physical will not be run over by someone who is in the church at that time, as it was with the Tkachas. It will be run over by someone who is part of the New World Order, Satan's kingdom. And again, we will flee from the physical. The spiritual temple will run and be protected and get to Zion where they will be protected for three and a half years. So what we have already seen happen in our lifetimes is about to happen again with a little different circumstances and on a much bigger scale. We fled once, we'll flee again. And if we are counted worthy, we will escape again. Now you know many did not escape when that happened in the church, did they? And they wound up in, in uh, spiritual famine and pestilence and disease and the sword. And many spiritually died and many are spiritually sick. And very few are surviving to the end. And God says only a 10% remnant will be counted worthy to come and build both the spiritual and the physical temple in its final form. So it has to be greater both physically and spiritually, than with that which came before. It has to be better by far than what we had in Pasadena, and we have to be by far better than what we were in Pasadena. The physical and the spiritual have to be greater. Uh, gold and silver will be used in the building of the physical temple. That's very clear. The Bible says, or Haggai says, the gold and the silver is mine. We'll get back to that uh, in a little bit here. But they'll say, no, you don't need to build a physical temple. Well, yes, you do. Then the spiritual temple will flee from the physical temple and be protected, just as it happened in the church. Now let's go on to Isaiah 45, and I don't think we've looked at this to specifically prove that there has to be a physical temple, but it fits very well here in the context. <clears throat> the end of chapter 44, it says that there will come along someone who is a type of the original Cyrus who uh, financed the building of the temple and sent the temple treasures with, <coughs> with Ezra and Zerubbabel and Joshua uh, in history. And that king sent those things and financed the building of the physical temple and later the wall of Jerusalem with Nehemiah. So that has been done. And here in Isaiah, a prophecy for the end time, it says that there will come someone who says to Jerusalem, you shall be built and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Now this is uh, a type of Ahasuerus, uh, who was uh, Esther's husband, and her son, who then financed the temple. So he was a, a Gentile king, or at least half-Gentile, and half-Jewish through Esther, and is apparently the one who did the financing of the temple uh, there in Ezra 1 through the whole book. So it says there will be someone who comes and says, yes, this must be done. 
and then it says that God will go before him and he will scare the loins of kings. So this is something that is going to ultimately be an international level event. And he will go ahead and cut the bars of iron and brass in verse 2 and show the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Eternal, which call you by your name, am the God of Israel. So this is someone who does not know God. And this will be done, and then he's going to realize who God is. It will be done for Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect. I have even called you by your name. I have surnamed you, though you have not known me. So here's someone who doesn't really know his origin. It's been lost somehow. And it says, clearly then, a second time, you've not known me. Go to verse 5. It says, there's no other God but me, and you've not known me. So three times it states that this man who is given these treasures will not know God. Okay? That's very, very clear. Emphasize three times that the man who's involved in these treasures will not know God. And then it will show, verse 6, the whole population of the earth from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me, I'm the Lord and there is none else. So it's going to be a supernatural, cataclysmic thing that is done to show the whole world and this Cyrus that he is God. Now, is this Cyrus here given spiritual treasures and gold and silver? We already have the truth, don't we? Don't we have the spiritual knowledge of the gold and silver and the truth that is God's? How in the world could God choose someone who represents a Gentile king and is there to finance the temple and to say it must be built, going to suddenly give him the truth and have him give it to us? I don't think so. He doesn't have the truth. He doesn't know who God is. So how could this be talking about a spiritual temple coming from a Gentile man? A carnal, unconverted man. It just couldn't be. So if treasures are given to a carnal, unconverted man, and he uses them to show who God is, they have to be physical. Because a man has no spiritual understanding whatsoever. So how could he say to the spiritual temple, your foundation has to be laid? How could he say to spiritual Jerusalem, the church, that you have to be built? It's not in him. He doesn't know God and isn't converted. So I think there is a powerful testimony that the physical temple is being discussed here, not a spiritual temple. The spiritual temple is being built apart from that. We're here to represent the spiritual temple already. And we're a long, long time before any gold and silver is going to come out of the ground. How long have most of us been at it here? Fifty years or more? Most of us. Now, we knew it a long, long time. We had the spiritual treasures and knowledge of God and this physical hasn't even showed up yet in Isaiah 45. It's not even here yet. 
But here we are, speaking of spiritual things and building a spiritual temple. So this has to be physical. There's no other way to explain it. Are you going to listen to some carnal man preach to you? Take what he has to say? I've had a few of them preach at me over the years, but I certainly didn't take on what they had to say. Now there in Haggai, it says the gold and the silver is mine. Now what's the context there? The context there is the two witnesses and the remnant church, the 10%, who were drawn of God and stirred up to come and build the temple. Well, God says the gold and silver is His. It's just that He delivers it through a carnal man who does not know God, and then it's used to build God's temple. The temple treasures will also be there, just as they were in Ezra's day. I'm not going to listen to any physical, carnal, unconverted man and what he has to say about the truth, because he doesn't have the truth and doesn't know God, whoever that is. But we don't have to pay any attention to what he says. But God will provide the physical wherewithal to build the temple. Now, I think we all understand that the kingdom of God will not be set up until Christ returns at the end of the three and a half years. And then the seven last plagues and the honeymoon of Christ with his bride lasts for a year. And he will come back and announce the Jubilee, the Millennium, on atonement, uh, likely of 2027. Then the Millennium will start and the Kingdom of God will be set up immediately. Well, the Kingdom of God is not here yet, and it will not be until that time. Now, God makes it very clear when you understand it, and we have come to grasp this, but prior to that time, just before the two witnesses preach and the church is in a place of safety, God is going to draw together a remnant people who are, have bought gold tried in the fire and who have spiritually uh, responded to God. And I've used uh, the term a microcosm of the kingdom of God because the things that are explained about that period of time just before and during the time the two witnesses are preaching are that God is going to give us Edenic conditions that's there in Isaiah 51 verses 2 and 3 uh, he'll give us the Garden of Eden so there's going to be a weather change the desert will bloom as a rose in microcosm not the whole world but a small area of it in the original promised land he will also give security and protection that's in Zechariah 2 where he says Jerusalem will be built as towns without walls, and he will be a wall of fire or protection around it. Well, that keeps Satan and this world's armies from defiling the spiritual temple. She's in her place prepared of God, which is Zion, right over the hill here. That's where she will be protected. So, God is going to give plenty and prosperity and security to his people during that period of time, that three and a half years. And the two witnesses will go out and proclaim to the world, which is in a sick and dying world war, uh, 90% of the population being destroyed, and say, if you just obey God, you could have 
what those people in Zion sitting on a hill have. They're a light to the world. That'll give the two witnesses the ammunition they need to use against Satan and his new world order. Can't be destroyed. It's there as a beacon to stand for God. Now, the physical temple will have been defiled, but the spiritual temple will be protected in Zion. And that defilement will last three and a half years until Christ returns. So, what God is going to do, I've used the word microcosm or a small sample of what is to come, or you can call it a trailer, like a movie trailer. It shows ahead of time what the movie is going to be about. So these events during the end time when the gospel is being preached around the world are going to give you glimpses of what the kingdom of God will be like. God shows a trailer to the world. This, this is what's going to happen. Stick around for the whole story. But they won't. So it's, it's, it's like a movie of what is to come. Now, Let's go to the second question I asked last week that, and I didn't get to. That question is, why not right now? If this physical temple is to be built, why not right now? And Haggai even says very clearly there, why are you dwelling in your fine homes and the temple is not built? Now, you can live in your fine home, can you not, and still be building a spiritual temple? Sure you can. You can be praying. You can be studying. You can be in a, one of America's big mansions somewhere and be doing that. But the physical temple is not being built. And God chides us for not getting on it. Well, why don't we then? Why don't we tomorrow morning get started? All right, let's answer that question. And the overall answer is some events have to happen before the physical temple can be built. Let's see what has to occur, and soon. Now, if you go to uh, Isaiah 52, I'm back in that area, I'll, I'll read this. It tells us in, at the beginning of the chapter to wake up and put on our beautiful garments, Zion, the church, the holy city. And he calls us Jerusalem there, just like he does in Hebrews 12, 22, and 23. So he says... Shake the yoke of Babylon off your neck. It goes on down and says in verse 7 that someone will come preaching good tidings and peace uh, and brings good tidings of good and publishes salvation that says to Zion, your God reigns. So there will be a message going out with these elements in it. And then it says in verse 8, thy watchmen, now him or one, will preach the story. And then the watchmen, the two, shall lift up the voice. With the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Eternal shall turn again or bring back or turn his face to Zion, as we see from other scriptures. So, those two have to be together. Go back to Haggai 1. What is the message to? It's to Zerubbabel and Joshua and then to the remnant that comes. So, before that temple can be built, those two have to come together. 
You can't start till that happens because the remnant's going to come to them. So we can't start tomorrow morning because those two are not together anywhere that I know of on the face of the earth. And they apparently don't see eye to eye at this point. And they won't until God does what? Till He turns things around. Read Zechariah 3, where it's talking about Joshua and the church. And it says that God will show signs and wonders. And that at that time He will reveal His servant the branch. Who's the branch? The branch is the one who represents Christ, who will be the signet and the standard of the last verse of Haggai 2. So it is at that time when God does those signs and those wonders in one place that the branch recognizes it and comes and is joined together with the other. And then, and not until then, could the remnant begin. So you can't do anything until the leaders get together. Okay? So we can't start tomorrow. Now, it says in Haggai again that God stirs His people to come. Read that in Haggai 1. He stirs the people to come to build the temple. Maybe I'll turn back there. Uh, we've read that so many times. I don't need to go there, I think. But there's the reference. It says God will stir the remnant. Uh, Isaiah 6 shows that that remnant is 10%. God's tithe of his church, he will collect. He'll bring them together. They will come to Joshua and Zerubbabel, and then they will begin to work in and build the temple. <clears throat> and that's both spiritual and physical. The spiritual has to be put back together right, and the physical has to be built for the reasons uh, that we have already discussed. It has to be there as a microcosm of the spiritual temple to come. You read Ezekiel 40 through 48, it talks even about the, the temple that is built there, which has not been built yet, doesn't have the same dimensions as anything in the past, and it certainly is not the spiritual temple of the millennium, because it says it will come down with 144,000 from heaven, and the Father and the Son will be the light of it. They'll be the temple of it. So this is something that apparently comes ahead of that. Well, that one in Revelation 21 has a river flowing out of it to heal the nations. So does the one in Ezekiel 40 through 48. Because it is a type, a small type, of what shall come later. So God is, when He makes this microcosm of what shall be to give the world a taste, which they will spit out, of what He is going to do, it includes that. A physical temple with water coming out which is a type and a picture of the New Jerusalem when the Father and the Son will be there. So God is going to give a very, very uh, explicit movie trailer of future events, if you will. Or a microcosm is the word I like. A, a small portion, a small sample of what shall be. And it will be limited to the area around Zion and the original promised land is where it will be limited because that's where the place of safety is and where God will protect his people. So it will not be worldwide by any means. That waits until Christ returns and the Father and the Son come down to set up their temple and their uh, millennium, their worldwide 
millennium. Now, uh, we've seen we've seen then that the two leaders have to come together. That a remnant has to be stirred to come to help build the temple. Now let's consider when they're stirred. Let's go to Jeremiah 51. Here's something else that has to happen before these things can occur. Jeremiah 51. Thus says the Eternal, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon, and against them that dwell in the midst of them that rise up against me, a destroying wind. So God is going to set his hand to destroy the modern-day, end-time Babylon, which we've identified as the U.S. It's the only thing that fits Revelation 18 and all these scriptures in Jeremiah and other places in the Bible. And will send to Babylon fanners that shall fan her. You fan a fire to make it burn faster. Burn it up. And shall empty her land. They'll take it uh, into captivity, those that survive. A third will die of famine and pestilence, a third by the sword, and a third will be taken into captivity. So the land will be basically emptied. For in the day of trouble they shall be against her round about. Uh, And as this begins to happen, uh, verse 5, For Israel shall not be forsaken, nor Judah of his God, speaking of the church, of the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. So we've got a land that we're living in that's full of sin. Flee out of the middle of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. So you have to flee from before it, before it occurs. Now let's go back to uh, chapter 50. (coughs) Again, noting... 49.39, the last verse of 49, but this is speaking of the latter days. It's not ancient history, but it's about the latter days. Here came the word from Jeremiah about the latter days. It says the same thing as we read in 51. Babylon is taken. Verse 3, For out of the north there comes up a nation against her, which shall make her land desolate. Same thing we read in 51. And none shall dwell therein, they shall remove, they shall depart, both man and beast. So it's quite widespread destruction, in other words. Now, now notice, verse 4, In those days and in that time. So, in those days, at the end, and at that time, when Babylon is about to be destroyed. He's pinning the timing down here says the eternal the children of Israel shall come they and the children of Judah together going and weeping they shall go and seek the eternal their God now this isn't speaking of the world populace this isn't the beginning of the millennium when that will also occur in greater form this is speaking before before Babylon is destroyed before America goes down that these people seeking their God Well, they have to be people who know God to seek their God. Okay? has to be the church. Spiritual Jerusalem. Spiritual Judah. What are they going to do? They'll seek God and they shall ask the way to Zion with their faces pointed there saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the eternal in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. 
So just as the northern army prepares to destroy this country, they're going to get scared and they're going to come weeping and wailing and crying out and seeking God and they're going to ask, how do I get to Zion? Now these are what people? Verse 6, my people have been lost sheep. Have we been scattered and lost for the last 30 years? Worldwide? And does God talk about how He's going to gather His sheep from all four corners of the earth just before Christ returns? And they'll come to the two witnesses to build the temple, spiritual and physical. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. Did not our shepherds do that? Weren't there those in the church who were preaching false doctrine? And we had to flee from the STP, the Systematic Theological Project. Didn't Tkachis come in and Raider and others who were teaching falsity? And we had to get away from it? Yeah, we got scattered. They've turned them away on the mountains. They've gone from mountain to hill. We were big and now we're small. Mountain to hill. They've forsaken their resting place. We were resting comfortably, he thought, in worldwide but not anymore. That's been taken away. And all that found them have devoured them. And their adversaries say, We offend not because they've sinned against God. <clears throat> so he says, verse 8, Remove out of the middle of Babylon and go forth out of the land of Chaldeans. Be as the he-goats before the flocks. Because he's going to destroy with a great assembly of nations, verse 9, led from the north. So, this has to happen just as that destruction comes. So, we, if they don't gather until the destruction is upon us, you can't build a temple until they get away and get here. Can't do it. So, there's another impediment to doing it starting tomorrow morning. You've got to wait until they get here, and they're not going to come until the northern army is on its way. Now, uh, let's go back to Jeremiah 51 and verse 44 and see another part of this. Chapter 51, verse 44. And I will punish Baal in Babylon, and I will bring forth out of his mouth that which he has swallowed up, and the nations shall not flow together any more to him. Uh, the wall of Babylon shall fall. So, God says, those who have come to us as trade partners and the ones that we've made rich... Uh, in Revelation 18, will not come anymore. It's going to be destroyed. Verse 45, My people, go you out of the midst of her, and deliver you every man his soul from the fierce angle, anger of the eternal. So, he says, I'm going to destroy it. Get away from it. Now, verse 46, And lest your heart faint, lest you get fearful, and you fear for the rumor that shall be heard in the land... A rumor shall both come one year, and after that in another year shall come a rumor and violence in the land, ruler against ruler. So just prior to this nation being destroyed by the northern army and the assembly of nations with her, we're going to have civil war and revolution break out in this country, and rulers will kill rulers, and people will kill people. That comes just before we are attacked and destroyed. So, the 
the faithful remnant are going to go through that period of civil war and revolution. And then just before the attack of the northern army, they will flee to Bab- out of Babylon and flee to Zion saying, how do we get there? They will have had enough. So we have civil war and revolution right in front of us. And you can see the beginnings of it starting to happen right now in the politics of what's going on in this nation and the world. And at the same time, we see the specter of World War III rising up behind that. So these prophecies are very, very close to being fulfilled. We can see the beginnings of them already. It's not just talk anymore. It's there. It's starting to happen. So, before the temple can be built, we have to have civil war and revolution. We have to have God beginning to bless Uh, with signs and wonders his people so the two can get together and then the gathering will come just as the nation is destroyed. So that is the period of time when there will be a wall of fire or God's defense around his people in the promised land. Won't all be in Zion yet because Jerusalem is not in Zion specifically. So the whole area of the original promised land has to be protected so that the temple can be built, and then Jerusalem can be built. And it's in the land of the original Judea. And there are mountains just east of it. And Zion is just southeast of it, or actually exactly south of it. But the mountains are kind of south and east, and they have to, you have to go in them to get down south to Zion. That's why it says, let him who reads understand. You've got to know where the real Jerusalem and the original land of Judea was. And you've got to know where the temple is. And you've got to know where Jerusalem's been built. And when they stand in Jerusalem in the temple and defile it, the spiritual temple flees from that. But all these things have to come to pass before it can be built. All these conditions have to occur. All right? The physical treasure and the financing has to be in place. Did Ezra build, and Zerubbabel and Joshua and those with them, build a physical temple until they got financing? No. Uh, the king told Ezra, take whatever you want. Uh, you, you, whatever you need, take it and use it. And he sent the temple vessels as well. So the modern day Cyrus will do the same thing when the time has come. I don't think those things are going to show up until the remnant is gathered, until the nation is taken under, and then they will show up. I don't think it can happen right now. The political climate is not such that it could even happen. If those things came out now, don't you think the U.S. government and the Spanish government and the Portuguese government and the Catholic government... And the Indians would all say that's our treasure and would come after it? Of course they would. It can only occur once God's divine protection comes over the area. And until that occurs, the financing and the gold and the silver required to build it will not be available. Now that requires a political change. And with a political change comes also another element of this. The area of spiritual, or of the original physical Jerusalem, is now controlled by the BLM. 
arm of the U.S. government. You can't go out there and build anything right now. They'd shut you down immediately. You can't even camp out on BLM or Forest Service land for more than two weeks at a time without moving. They'll let you stay two weeks and you got to move. They don't want anybody taking over and homesteading, if you will, on land that they at this point control. So how are you going to build a temple in physical Jerusalem under the political climate we now have? You can't. Can't buy the land from the government. So there has to be a political change and the BLM and the government won't have control of it anymore. The Northern Army will have come in and the BLM won't exist anymore. Neither will the U.S. government. But God will have put a wall of protection around the original promised land. Then you can go in there, claim the land, and build the temple. So we can't start anything until that political climate changes and until those things that you need to build it are prepared. He says there in Haggai, go up into the mountains and bring wood and stones, layers, what is it, several layers of stones there in Ezra, to build the temple. And then it'll be covered with gold and silver, and the temple vessels of gold and silver will be placed in it. But this can't happen until things change. Could not do it today. It'd shut you down right now. There have to be some incredible signs and wonders and miracles. And the nation has to go under. Then these things can be done. Now that sounds like, like a lot of stuff that has to happen. And it is. But you know what? It's going to happen very, very quickly when it starts. There's so many places in the scriptures that say when Babylon falls, it's going to be in a day or in a, uh, a night or, uh, well, there in Revelation 18. Uh, it describes it as a very quick happening. In one hour, verse 19. Somewhere else here I think it says in a day. In other, uh, well, verse 17 it says in, for, in one hour. Very, very short period of time. Verse 8 says one day. Now, a day can be as a thousand years <laughs> in biblical prophecy. I understand that. But here, it's talking about a very quick happening where you have to flee ahead of it and then it brings it down to one hour that her riches come to nothing. So it's a very, very short period of time that all of this occurs. And we see in the news right now... The revolution coming. We see World War III. And people are talking about it. And all these things, they, they can see them coming now. It's not just stale Bible, Bible prophecy. So that temple has to be there uh, for the beast to think he has won for three and a half years. The church is out of his reach. The two witnesses will be pestering him. But then when they're killed, he'll really think he's won. And he's going to rule the world. He's got another thing coming when Christ returns. Now, I'll tell you another thing that has to happen before this can occur. Haggai 2 says that uh, in this place, speaking of Zion, the promised land, the area where the temple will be built in Jerusalem, says, in this place will I bring peace. Well, we know from Jeremiah 11 
and actually even in Jeremiah, I think, 32 and 33 are hints of it. But Jeremiah 11 makes it very clear that there will be a rebellion at Anatot. <coughs> and when that rebellion arises, God says, don't even pray for this people. They will not repent. And then he says he hears Jeremiah's cause, and he makes a decision there, end of Jeremiah 11, and he says those people will be cast out, and that they will go into the tribulation. Uh, talks there about famine and the sword. That's the tribulation, because that's what we're coming up to, aren't we? We're just about on social revolution, and then World War III, and that's when the tribulation starts and the witnesses begin to preach after the temple is built and Jerusalem is built and the abomination is set up. So there's a period of time there that God is going to gather his people together, but the rebellion has to go away. And if you're going to have peace, you can't have rebels who are in disagreement with what God has put in place. So he says there at the end of that chapter, Jeremiah 11, that they will go into famine and to the sword and that every last one of them will die there. Men, women, and children. Every rebel will die with famine and the sword. Well, when does famine and the sword come? Beginning of the tribulation. So sometime between now and the time that starts, they've got to be cast out and be left out in the world and will not be protected in God's protected area. So that has to happen as well so that peace can come within what God is going to do. And he tells us there in Isaiah 54, he'll give us many more children for those that we have lost. Now I'm not saying those people are going into the lake of fire. I didn't say that. Many, many who have been part of the church of God in the end time are going into the tribulation. Only 10% are going to be drawn out and used to build a spiritual and physical temple here at the end. 90% of those that remain alive will go into the tribulation. Zechariah hints or says that about a third of those will repent during tribulation. So they will have their clothes made white during a real fire at that point, not just... Not just what we've been going through these last three decades, but physical danger and, and physical death. They'll go into that, but at least a third of them are going to repent during that time and be in the first resurrection. That seems clear. So I'm not saying these people who have rebelled here are going to go into the lake of fire. I'm not saying that. I'm saying they are going into the physical tribulation, and there they will all die. Now, they may repent first, and I hope because I love those people I hope that that is the case but that's something else that has to happen before all these things can be done because as the temple is being built God says there will be peace during that time so they'll be cast out of here and then when the tribulation starts they'll be in it they won't be brought out of it the spiritual temple will be in safety and untouchable. The physical temple will be defiled and taken over and held for three and a half years by the beast power. Now let's understand. It seems that 
things go on and on and oh man will it ever happen well look at history God's doings his plans his purposes have always taken time longer than most humans would think that they should poor old Noah 100 years of building and being ridiculed and sarcasm and all kinds of bad jokes being made about uh, consider Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the trials and sufferings uh, that they had to go through. We just talked about Joseph and how he was thrown in a pit and sold into slavery and sat in prison seven years and on and on. And he must have thought, this is taking way too long for whatever it was and whatever deliverance he expected from God. Look at poor Moses. He got, after he killed that Mitzriamite, he had to run to the desert for 40 years. And wait till everybody died off before he could come back. So it's taken time. Hebrews 11 talks about all those who died in the faith not having received the promises. They lived out their entire lives and never saw those things happen that God had promised. David, he hasn't seen them yet. Still waiting. Even in the end time, it talks about in, in the book of Habakkuk. That's a prophecy for when the time when the Assyrian army comes against us. And Habakkuk sitting there saying, How long, O Lord? When is this going to happen? Now, Habakkuk is a type of us waiting for this to happen. Right after that, after he gets his attitude adjusted, he says, I, I'm just going to sit on my watch and wait. I'm going to be patient until God does what He said He's going to do. I'm not going to say, how long, O Lord, anymore. I'm going to be patient. And then Zephaniah immediately picks up the story and talks about the economic collapse, which is also about to happen. The economic collapse has to happen before the politics change, before the nation's taken, before people can gather. So this is going to happen very, very soon now. As we sit and wonder... Oh Lord, how long? All right, I'm going to close this. Let's go back to Psalm 39. And let's see if this doesn't reverberate with us. Psalm 39. Considering all these things we've just talked about. And considering this position we find ourselves in now. The church having been blown apart. Uh, enemies arising. Rebellion even right here. Uh, on a smaller level than what is in the rest of the church as well. All those things considered, let's read Psalm 39. I said, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. So, while the wicked are before us here at the end of the age, we have to be very, very careful with our tongues, do we not? I was dumb with silence. I held my peace, even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. Felt helpless, not only not speaking uh, of evil, but even good things it's hard to say. It's hard to talk about these good things when you're still living in the evil. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. So I've got all these things going around in my heart and my head and my mind and my stomach. Then I spoke with my tongue. Here's what I finally wound up saying. 
Lord, make me to know my end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. God, help me realize I'm a human being here. I'm getting old. Haggai even tells us, as does Ezra, that there will be old men around who see the physical and the spiritual temple built right here at the end. So, how frail are we? <laughs> Look at us. Barely get around, most of us. Behold, you have made my days as a handbreadth. Seems like it just went by so fast. And my age is as nothing before you. I may feel old and decrepit. My mind may be going. My memory, whatever. My body. But it's nothing to you. But it sure seems like it does, doesn't it? Truly, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Here we are. Weak, sick, old, can't do anything. This human life is temporary. Vanity, that's what, what it means. Temporary. Very temporary. Surely every man walks in a vain show. We have our ego, our pride, our vanity, and uh, we like to have an image of ourselves, of what we would like to project we are, in spite of what we are. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heaps up riches and knows not who shall gather them. I mean, you can try to be wealthy. You can try to work hard at being wealthy. But you don't. when you die, you don't know what's going to happen. Just like Solomon said, your kids will blow it, blow it off. And now, Lord, what wait I for? Well, you know, I'm old. I'm not rich. I'm not wealthy. What am I sitting here for? What, what's this all about? My hope is in you. Look at us. Our only hope is in God, right? We're not going to live much longer. Most of us sitting here are listening to this on the telephone. We're not going to live a whole lot longer, are we? Not normally, physically speaking. Unless God brings back Zion and turns it around and gives us dear legs and, and youth and strength and all of those things back again, we're not going to live much longer. But he said he's going to do that. That's part of that microcosm or trailer at the beginning showing how the millennium will be. will be revived. Just as they'll be resurrected uh, in the great white throne judgment, God's going to raise us up now. Not, not from the grave necessarily, but from our old, beaten, broken bodies and minds. That's where our hope is. So he says, deliver me from all my transgressions and make me not the reproach of the foolish. Now there's something else that has to occur before the temple can be built. Isaiah 44, just before 45, when it says the treasures will come forth, it says God blots out our sins as a cloud. We have to be forgiven. We have to be put in a spiritual situation. Isaiah 54 says that the righteousness will be of me, not their own self-righteousness, but God's righteousness. Our sins have to be forgiven. <coughs> Zechariah 3 says they'll be forgiven in one day. So this can't go forward and we can't build the temple until he forgives our trespasses and we have sought him and his gold and silver in this time of scattering and sought him with our whole heart. Then he will forgive our sin and this thing will go forward. Okay? So deliver me from my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. Verse 9, I was dumb. I opened not my mouth because you did it. We don't have a word to say. 
We can't do anything. God is the one who can remove our reproach and our sin. Remove your stroke away from me. He said he's put the paddle to us, didn't he? He's chastening the church, blowing it apart. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. It wasn't Satan that did this to the church. It was God. Read the book of Lamentations. You know, he may have used Satan for the dirty work, but it's, it's from God. When you with rebukes do correct man for iniquity, you make his beauty to consume away like a moth. Where is that beautiful church that we used to have? That's in Isaiah, I think. Surely every man is vanity. So be it. Hear my prayer, O eternal. Isn't that not where we are right now? Give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. For I am a stranger with you, and a sojourner as all my fathers were. Sometimes hard to contact God when He is applying the paddle to our rear ends. Oh, spare me that I may recover strength before I go here from here and be no more. Here we find ourselves, end of life, deteriorating rapidly, mentally and physically. Deliver us, O oh Lord, before we go and be no more. Does that sound like today or not? If you don't think so, read chapter 40. I waited patiently for the eternal. There's Habakkuk. He decided, I'm not going to fret over this anymore. I'm going to wait for God. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. So God's going to hear us at some point. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, Christ, and established my goings. So he's going to reestablish us. That's all those prophecies we read about. He's put a new song in my mouth. He says we'll sing together when God brings back Zion and Isaiah. Even praise to our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the eternal. When God turns it around, Zechariah 3, many people are going to wake up and be stirred to come to God and build a temple. Blessed is that man that makes the eternal his trust says in Isaiah 7 and 8, Don't fear this new world order. Fear me. Put your trust in me. And respects not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. We look to God, not the liars around us. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts which are toward us. He says, I've turned my face from you for a moment, but I'll turn it back to you with blessing. They cannot be reckoned up in order to you. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Isn't that what we need to be doing? It's counting the blessings God has given us instead of being frustrated over what He has not yet done. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears have, have you opened. Burnt offering and sin offering have you not required. His ears are open to our cry. So we, we can't do anything God needs. He doesn't need anything from us. He wants our loyalty and faithfulness so He can trust us to live with Him throughout eternity. Then said I, verse 7, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. You know what? We're written about in the Bible. We really are. Those who will serve God and be faithful and trust Him and receive his blessing of, are written in the book. Written right here. We're reading it right now. And other places. 
I delight to do your will, O my God. Yes, your law is within my heart. Spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, but it's in our heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, haven't held back. O eternal, you know that. I have not hid your righteousness within my heart. I didn't just take what I knew and keep it for myself. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. Brethren, do we have a message going out there that is a message of hope and of help and of blessing? Are we holding it back? No, nobody's just not, nobody's listening. Withhold not you your tender mercies from me, O Eternal. Let your loving kindnesses and your truth continually preserve me. So we look to any help, any little answer from God, and we keep His truth and hang on to His truth. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Does it seem like that sometimes? Got all kinds of evil. My iniquities have taken hold upon me. So it's not just evil around us, but our own iniquities have taken hold of us. So that I am not able to look up. Do you? I do feel ashamed that I'm not what I ought to be before God. And sometimes I hang my head to pray because I don't feel like I can look up to Him or I feel like I'm so far below Him. They are more than the hairs of my head. So we still sin. Therefore my heart fails me. It's difficult to have faith and strength and confidence in God when we don't obey Him and we sin. And that hurts our confidence. It hurts our faith. It hurts our hope. Be pleased, O Eternal, to deliver me. So we cry out then because of all this that we're going through. Deliver me. O Eternal, make haste to help me. I pray thy kingdom soon. I pray these things that are we read about and talked about today happen soon so we can get on the other side of it. <laughs> Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. The rebellion of Anatoth will be put away. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say to me, Aha, aha, you sinner. Let all those that seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, The eternal be magnified. Not us. We aren't important. He is. Magnify him. Look to him and give him honor and glory and praise. But I am poor and needy, speaking spiritually. Yet the eternal thinks upon me. God hasn't cast us off just because we're weak and pitiful and poor and needy. He is chastening us and encouraging us to buy gold tried in the fire and to turn to him with our whole heart. So he's still thinking on us. You are my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O oh my God. Hurry, help us, deliver us. So we're facing terrible things at the end of this age. We're going to see incredible blessings on a faithful remnant that will be used as an example to the world around us. But these things cannot occur until a lot of the events that we're seeing beginning to happen occur. And then the climate will change, the politics will change, God will put His protection and blessing 
and he will begin to bless in ways that he never has before. And those who are faithful will be used as a light to the world to show them the true way and what will come if they will only repent and obey. So, yes, there has to be a physical and there has to be a spiritual temple. And certain things have to occur to prepare the way for those things to be built. And they are very close to happening. So, let's look to God and serve Him with all our hearts and know that He will deliver us when the time is right.